the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're going to talk about images today, and in particular, images we are seeing from the war in Ukraine. Pulitzer Prize-winning Washington Post photographer Salwan Georges will join to talk about the images he's capturing on the ground in Ukraine and how they tell the story of that conflict. Then we'll talk about the ways that images on social media influence social movements and our ideas about war. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. Framing is everything. In our discussions, in our work with friends, with colleagues, we're constantly drawing borders around conversations and particular events, rendering those things in greater context to convey a message, to express something. Nearly all of us do this. Lawyers, Police officers, teachers, radio hosts. Our lives are drawn out by narrative, and narrative demands framing, particular borders. But this isn't just something that people do to tell stories through words. For many people, the world is best understood and shaped through images. Particularly at this time, a lot of people are experiencing and capturing people and places through images that move faster and are more available than ever before. Think of what you see each day on your Twitter feed or your Facebook. Salwan Georges is one of those people who's in charge of framing our world, so to speak. He's a Pulitzer Prize-winning photojournalist who previously worked at the Detroit Free Press. And he's been trying to capture experiences, to tell stories, and to get people to bear witness to particular strands of truth that move about in our world. Lately, he's been in Ukraine covering the war. And his images ask us some really really compelling questions. What can happen in a particular frame? What kind of experiences can be told or shared? And what kind of truths and events can be expressed to onlookers? And, of course, what are the consequences of the answers to all of those questions? That's where we begin the conversation today, with the idea of images what they tell us, what they teach us, how they make us feel, and in particular, how war images, images of conflict, of death, of aggression, elicit particular feelings from us about what's going on in the world. I'm really excited to welcome Salwan Georges to Detroit Today. Salwan, it is great to have you here. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So... What has it been like on the ground in Ukraine? You've been covering people who have died, recently died, or are mourning. And I have to say, it's, it's really intense just to see the work. So give us a sense of what you see day to day. Of course. Well, what's happening in Ukraine during that time I spent there, I've been out of there for about uh, three, three weeks to four weeks. Mm-hmm. The, this war wasn't like taking place on a battlefield. A lot of people lost their lives since the war started, and the Russians were bombing, you know, kindergartens, schools, hospitals, residential buildings, just simply people in line for their groceries, and which which makes the situation pretty dangerous and unpredictable. Yeah, yeah. And when you're trying to tell this part of the story, uh, talk about how that, how that feels for you. I mean, this is, 
This is uh, the the most intense part of these people's lives, the people in Ukraine who you're photographing. Um, uh, I, I can't imagine that it's that it's easy to do that without having and feeling some emotional connection to the story. Yes, of course. Um, I try to kind of spend some time with the people before telling their stories to kind of, I mean, they're already going through the one of their worst day in their life. And um, that's the last thing I want is to add to that. So our job is to go spend time with people, getting them comfortable a little bit, and then telling their stories to the world. But, um, you know, it was sometimes it was hard to even talk to people because of like the suffering and the chaos that the Russian started causing the country from day one. You know, I remember I was in in Kharkiv before the war. I kind of got a glimpse of the the country before the war, which is it was like, you know, really beautiful country, really warm people. Um, people, you know, like it was a normal day in, in any European country. Then the next day, the war totally changed, um, you know, sending people into shelters, uh, underground shelters, sending them into, you know, trying to pack their car and get out of the country as fast as they can. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what the reactions of the Ukrainian people are uh, are like. Uh, how are they enduring the war? Do they get accustomed to the idea that the war is taking place? Um, or is it constantly chaotic and, and disruptive in a way that, uh, that maybe they they won't ever really be able to go back to quote-unquote normal? You know, for Ukrainians, the, the war is not new. It's, it depends also on the region. Like in the Donbass region, the, the war never stopped for the past eight years. There was constantly shelling with, like, and people, you know, losing their life. It never really stopped. So, but it definitely, people since 2014 have the idea of Russia at any minute could invade them. So the country kind of feel like it was ready, but people didn't really expect it to really happen. So a lot of people, you know, just put their uniform on, started volunteering at the, you know, territorial defense lines, and, you know, will give their life for their country. People were really resilient, um, kind of finding, you know, will fight for their country uh, no matter what. And... Um, and you got other peoples who like simply live in like farmlands and live in the villages, just don't understand why this violence. It doesn't make no sense. They just, you know, trying to live their life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we've heard a lot about the Ukrainian people and their resolve uh, to push back against the Russian invasion. Uh, there is a, a kind of scrappy tale, I think, that that has emerged about ordinary people um, taking up arms or or doing things that uh, they th- thought would help uh, push the Russians back. Uh, give us a sense of what you've seen of of that dynamic among among Ukrainians. I have seen from first day of the war long lines of. You know, people from age 18 to like 55, 60 even, waiting in line to get trained or to receive a weapon and be sent somewhere along the front lines or along a bridge or or an entrance to a small city to protect their their country. It was, um, you know, very, very obvious that like, everybody was willing to give up their life to protect their country. Uh, I went to a couple trainings in different cities. Uh, pe- people were, train- were training how to use guns. I talked to a few uh, people, and, and one of them was a, um, you know, a dance teacher, and she said she, she was planning to kind of leave the country, but then saw the attack started getting closer to her hometown of Odessa, which is in the south. Um, south of Ukraine on the Black Sea, and decided to um, go get get trained how to uh, protect her city, and that I heard that by so many, so many, so many people in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. 
I'm talking with Salwan George's uh, Pulitzer Prize winning photographer for the Washington Post. He's been covering the war in Ukraine uh, through images. Um, We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. What has it been like watching this war through video and photo images? Uh, What kind of impact is it having on you personally? Uh, And if you lived through other wars uh, like Afghanistan or Vietnam even, uh, how does this feel in comparison in our social media age? We, we can see so much more of what's actually going on uh, in Ukraine than we could in other places, and we can see a lot of it in, in almost real time. Uh, what does it feel like to be able to access images of this violence and destruction so quickly and easily? As always, the number here on the phones is 313 577 1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can work you into the conversation um, uh, that way. Uh, Salwan, I wonder if this has changed the way uh, you've interpreted uh, uh, war itself and this war in particular, seeing it so up close. Uh, do you see Russia and Ukraine and the West's role in all of this differently than before you went to be there on the ground? Uh, for me as a photographer, you know, I can um, sometimes comment on things. Um, you know, I try to kind of... Um, show everything through my camera but um you know when I, I, a lot of i went through so many checkpoints and when they heard the first days of the war when they heard i'm american they were like what are you doing here <laughs> like you should be you know out of the country in safety and as we were driving against you know people were fleeing this side we we're driving the other side to kind of go to the front line and report on what was happening um but later on, you know, people are getting used to, you know, seeing a lot of Western journalists, a lot of, uh, because, you know, I got there on uh, on uh, February 14th, and I kind of got saw, saw the country a little bit before the war. I tra- I've traveled through the Donbass region where it was actively um, hostile, and um, the war, a lot of people were getting shelled, and that's even before the war. So, um, so you know, I mean, it's it's great that people kind of finally pay attention and trying to do something about the injustice and the evil of the war, because you know, at the end of the day, the, the people are always the victim of any violence or any war, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what was happening in, in Ukraine, uh, because you know, I simply witnessed. Um, like we were around the corner, then all of a sudden they bombed um, a hotel or they shelled um, a whole residential project, as we say here, buildings where it sent many people living in their basement. Hmm. And I'm talking about early war. Like I'm not, I, now, like there's been a lot of reports, we've seen so much, but um, early war, there was a lot of things that weren't being um, shared until we made our way there until some of the media that were there got access to things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, You can also go to social media, put uh, comments there, and we'll work into the conversation. Let's start with Annette in Southfield. Annette, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. You may not like this, but here we go. My father taught me not to hate people. And I live with that quite well. Dad was 12 years old when World War II hit. He lived in Ukraine. He lived in a village called Kachilsk. His family was murdered by his neighbors, the Ukrainians. He lived in the haystacks, in the barns. He lived underground. He stole from their cold uh, storage, potatoes, pickles, herring, and survived. Funny how no one really said much about people.
people then, and they didn't save them so easily. Hmm. So, so Annette, um, I, I'm really curious about um, what happened to your dad and the way he survived. Is is part of the way he was able to share that story with you through images, or were there not images of what happened? Um, he in Ukraine? said he described what had happened to him in stories on what had happened. There were no pictures, yeah. nothing like that. Uh, there was a couple picked him up when he was walking on the road. The father and said, let's sell him for a bag of salt. We'll trade him in. He's worth a bag of salt. The wife, good Christian, said, no, no, we will not. Hmm. And uh, they ended up feeding him a bowl of which was nice. They took off his clothes and gave him holy clothes that were life-ridden. And they let him out on the road, and he continued on his path. That was only one of his stories. I'm not trying to put down anybody in Ukraine. I'm hoping war will end altogether there, anywhere in the world. Even though we, as the United States, seem to emphasize on that particular war, over the war that's still occurring in Syria, the wars that are throughout Africa. It's amazing how we get stuck on one. Yeah, uh, uh, no question, Annette, uh, that uh, our attention goes to um, you know places that uh, we have particular interest uh, in, and it doesn't go to others. Um, uh, I saw one. I wonder if you can talk about the choice to to cover. What's going on in Ukraine, but uh, but not in other parts uh, of the world? Uh, I know that you're not, you know, you don't run the Washington Post, but uh, but talk about the choices that are being made about how we cover this and how we cover, I guess, other things. Well, I can I can speak for my my experience mm-hmm. and the Washington Post. I can't speak for any other media because that's not right. Uh, we have been everywhere. Um, if you closely follow our coverage, we've covered almost every war, every conflict. I was actually, believe it or not, on a flight to Afghanistan to show the situation of um, the hunger and, and uh, the really terrible situations happening there after mm-hmm. we left the country when I got rerouted to Ukraine. So I've covered many conflicts in the U.S. across um our job is always to be there. Sometimes some areas are not this accessible to journalists and dangerous, but we are still make our way there and risk our life every day to tell the story. Um, my job is to kind of take photos and show what's happening in a lot of places. And that's, um, that's the mission. And um, I know some wars don't get coverage as much. And that's because, you know, the ac- access and... Um, also, some countries, like right now, I cannot just pick up my bags and go to Syria mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm not welcome there as an American journalist. So um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of logistics that goes through, like even in Ukraine, just like um, making making choices that can basically save your life. If you, you know, take the road, if you end up in the in the wrong hand of uh, um, if you end up in front of a Russian soldiers, they're not going to welcome me. They're going to probably shoot me. So there's a lot of. Uh, um, a lot of limitations sometimes, but there's always a way to find to get to a place and cover it. Yeah, yeah, and tell the stories. Annette, I really appreciate the the call uh, and the question. Uh, let's go next to Anthony in Southwest Detroit. Anthony, what's on your mind? Well, hi. Good morning, Stephen. Um, I just uh, real quick. I think I heard the journalist, photojournalist, say he arrived in Ukraine on February 14th. Was that correct? Yes, that's correct. Thank you so much. But, um, uh, you know, he said the Washington Post, they've covered every war, but that's kind of what I'd say the problem is, especially in Iraq. I mean, their coverage, especially if you look at their opinion section, it wasn't very, uh, very pleasant. But, you know, and then the the guest says right now, Afghanistan, look at the, I was taking pictures of the hunger when we left the country. Well, yeah, when we left the country, that's one thing that happened. What about the sanctions that we then placed on them and we froze their central bank assets? I mean, see there's two sides of every story mm-hmm. so my question is the guest said 
something we've never heard on your station until today that I'm aware of, that there's been eight years of violence and shelling in Ukraine. So who was shelling who for eight years? Hmm. So, Anthony, we, we've talked about this a number of times right here on this show, and that's all I have uh, control over the content of here at WDET. Um, and we've talked several times about the fact that this war is not new in Ukraine and that uh, there have been tensions for a long time. There was a, a, a 2014 conflict there uh, that has kind of simmered in the background for a long time. We've had guests uh, on the show who've talked about that. Of course, callers like yourself have uh, have mentioned it. So we have really tried to to make you know uh, to make an effort to to talk about this in some context, right? It's, it didn't just happen in February, but uh, but Salwan, I'll give you a chance to to expand on this idea of the shelling that's gone on for eight years, the conflict that's been going on between these two countries for a really long time. Yeah, I'm from from what I saw and for when I traveled um, to the Donbas region, that was before the war started. Um, few, like a week or a few days before the war started, uh, we visited some of those uh, people living on the front line between, you know, the Donbass region, where it, some of it is um, in, um, it's not controlled by Ukraine, it's controlled by pro-Russian groups. And then um, they were basically, like all these people said, we used to, like, you know, here and there get shelled. Um, some Some people, you know, trying to cross and lose their life. But now it has increased to a, a point where we haven't seen that in the past eight years, which is that kind of was indication that something bigger was coming, which is the invasion, of course. But we visited like kindergarten where like within, I think within like 30 minutes or an hour, they were able to move their kids and save a bunch of children life because they, they hit a, a, a classroom in the kindergarten. I mean, that's all I could say, um, but the conflict definitely has been going on. If you read a little bit history of Ukraine, mm-hmm. you kind of um, could see that happening. Uh, and I'm no expert because, you know, um, I'm a I'm a photographer and I go and, and um, show what's happening and report back and show the world um, the situation on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Salwan, I want to really thank you for uh, coming on with us. Um, I also want to note that, again, that uh, you were really great uh, as a Detroit Free Press <laughs> photographer, which is, <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. where you and I met years, years ago. Uh, did, did, did you always imagine that uh, when you were here, for instance, uh, did you always imagine that uh, you would go off to, to cover wars and, and do all of these things that are really much different than your work here in Detroit uh, with The Post? Uh, I mean, actually, being from Iraq, um, that kind of interest uh, was always there for me, where, like, I, I kind of lived through the war, and I couldn't really tell it through my images, uh, because I wasn't a photographer back then. I was just uh, fleeing uh, with my family as a refugee, and then making it to Detroit. Uh, like many immigrants, um, we have a great immigrant community in Michigan. And then, um, you know, I always had a passion for photography and storytelling, and uh, I've I've always wanted to tell stories where um, can kind of help some people and also raise awareness of situations, and that's a lot of the work I do at the Washington Post. I've traveled to almost every continent other than, of course, Antarctica, <laughs> and um, and um, tell told stories and um, try to. Um, raise awareness like if you look at um, you know child uh, slavery in Africa with chocolate uh, simply um, stuff uh, that people forget about there's a lot of conflicts there's a lot of um, stories to be told and uh, I feel like at the Washington Post we try to be there um, and uh, raise awareness yeah okay Salwan George is uh, great to have you here with us and great work uh, documenting the the war in Ukraine. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. 
Coming up, we're going to continue this conversation about images. We're going to talk about how social media has had an impact on the war in Ukraine with Assistant Professor Jen Schrady, who is author of the book, The Revolution That Wasn't, How Digital Activism Favors Conservatives. Really interesting conversation about how images are shaping our opinion of the world. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. The TikTok war. That's how some people have come to describe Russia's war on Ukraine, implying that it is a war that is playing out on our social media as much as anywhere else. And if you're like me, images from that country have just been pouring onto your screen now for several months, from the breathtaking work of professional photographers like Salwan Georges, who we were just speaking to, to citizen journalists who are gathering visual evidence to archive what some are calling war crimes uh, in that country. Aside from the shock or absolute horror of seeing these moments play out in real time, I really wonder what larger role these pictures are playing in our lives, especially when it comes to depictions of war like we're seeing in Ukraine. It's not that we should look away or ignore what's happening, But I wonder how much exposure inspires engagement outside of these platforms. How many of us are moved to do something, for instance, by the images that we're seeing of what's happening in Ukraine? And the flip side of that question is whether overexposure to these kinds of images leads to a more passive form of thinking about all of these things. In other words, do we just get used to the idea of shocking, disturbing images and kind of recoil into a space where we're not really as motivated to do everything. This is not just a question about war images either. If you think about the place that we live here in southeast Michigan, city of Detroit in particular, think of the really horrific things that happen to our fellow Detroiters. And how often we hear about those things or see images that remind us of those things. Does it make us numb to the idea that things can change? Or does it inspire us to actual activism? Or is it kind of a mix of those two? Jen Schrady is a sociologist who teaches at the Paris Institute of Political Science, and she studies the role that social media plays in social movements. She joins us now to continue the conversation about the power of images here on Detroit Today. Jen Schrady, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I grew up in uh, Northwest Ohio, right on the Michigan border. So grew up <laughs> listening to WDT. So oh, I'm thrilled to be with you today. Yeah, no, it's really great to have you with us. Uh, you recently published an article in the Washington Post, and it critiqued this idea of referring to Ukraine's war as the TikTok war. You said, quote, today's social media posts represent more evolution in communication than revolution. So I want you to expand on that and talk about how this war is influenced, I guess, by our interactions on social media and I guess how it isn't. Absolutely. The role of social media right now with what we're seeing in Ukraine or, as you mentioned, uh, images of uh, protest or other um, social injustices in Detroit, for example, are really critical to Um, what's happening um, in uh, those events and uh, obviously clearly important to what's uh, in front of our screens uh, throughout the day. Um, But 
you know, we've had over the last uh, few decades a lot of claims of, for example, the Arab Spring or Occupy Wall Street were Twitter revolutions or Facebook revolutions. Um, and the latest is, right, that uh, what's happening in Ukraine is a TikTok war. But if we go back even further um, and think about the role of uh, visual images, um, they, for the last century or more, they've always been really critical to how we view um, major events. If we think about, um, you know, kind of the grim images that uh, many of us saw um, during the Vietnam War through um, uh, TV uh, media, or, you know, for, for those of us who are old enough to remember those kind of indelible images of the Berlin Wall being smashed um, and seeing those as well. Um, uh, you know, so, so they are important. Um, on the other hand, um, they're just not enough to really sustain any kind of social or political movement or even support um, for people who are fighting a crisis like those in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk specifically about Ukraine and what's going on there with social media. You have a lot of Ukrainians who are using social media to try to aid their fight back against the Russians and, of course, to draw attention to what's going on there to inspire others to help um, to help that movement. So in your estimate, how is that going? Uh, are they are they experiencing some success in doing that? And then talk about how this moment, I guess, is is different from what we've seen with other conflicts. I mean, I feel like even in the last five to seven years, uh, social media has evolved so fast and and to a to a, such a different place that uh, what they're doing in Ukraine might not even have been possible uh, in in other conflicts. So I, w- I wonder what you make of uh, what they're doing and and I guess what it means. Yeah, so it, it's interesting. I will say that unlike those images broadcast uh, through Vietnam or you know other wars, as you mentioned. What is different is that we are seeing a lot more images from people on the ground. Um, however, I don't want to over, um, you know, kind of sell this, this idea that any one individual's um, images can go viral. I think that's kind of the myth that, um, that anyone's photo or video can go viral. Certainly it can happen, but what's more common is um, your discussion earlier around photojournalism, traditional media, people who have um, training and resources um, to really have um, images put out there over the long term um, are much more commonly seen. Um, but, um, you know, it's not only people on the ground who are affected by the war. Certainly many of us have seen those. Um, but I think what's really telling is clearly the role um, that uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky has played um, in this whole concept of uh, a so-called TikTok war, right? Um, of course, his experience as uh, a TV personality himself and really understanding uh, what um, is effective and persuasive visually um, has only um, helped his cause and, and the cause of uh, the Ukrainian people. On the other hand, you also mentioned that, you know, the, the more recent way in which people have been able to really use these tools, even 10 or 15 years ago, showing videos instantaneously was very challenging, right? That, that kind of technology um, is very recent. At, at the same time, right, we have other wars that are have been happening, um, whether, you know, with Syrians or Ethiopians that have had smartphones and have filmed and tried to upload their videos, but they didn't always, you know, have the same level of widespread support, really, and, and sympathy as um, Ukrainians have. Um, and a lot of that is based on ways in which um, you know, race and racism may may play uh, a role. Um, on the other hand, um, I think that the positive 
element in this is to really see how, um, you know, how key these digital tools are, but at the same time, how limited they are. Because as you mentioned, you know, this was a few months ago and Ukrainian war really dominated headlines. Um, and it's still part of the news cycle. Um, but unfortunately, the, the other downside of something like a so-called TikTok war is that it's often then framed as, unfortunately, a form of entertainment, right? And people get tired of it. Um, and that's why the role of professional journalists are so important to really maintain that kind of coverage um, in a regular news cycle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm talking with uh, Jen Schrady, who is a professor and author of the book, The Revolution That Wasn't, How Digital Activism Favors Conservatives. She writes about how social media affects social movements. We're talking about uh, the war in Ukraine, the images that we're seeing from that country, especially on social media, and how they influence the way we're thinking about that conflict uh, and maybe the activism that we're inspired to because of it, or uh, the the sense of ubiquity, perhaps, that we come to accept uh, of violent images about what's going on in the world. Uh, we'd love to hear from you during the conversation as well. What do you make of how war gets depicted on social media? Does it make you feel more engaged in what's going on in Ukraine to be able to see exactly what's happening uh, during the war. Uh, does this ease of access to images and video clips make you feel more informed about what's actually happening in Ukraine? Or on the flip side, does it dilute the gravity of the moment for you? Do you find yourself gripped by the images but not moved to the kind of action, I suppose, that uh, – that might be inspired by these images. Um, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. You can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can work you into the conversation. Uh, I want to go back to that point that you were just making, uh, Jen, and talk more about this role of professional journalists uh, in this time um, and I guess the work that's being done alongside maybe is the best dis description. The differences that, that you're trying to highlight there, I think it's lost on some people why that's important. Why, why does it matter that somebody like Salwan Georges uh, is in Ukraine to document what's happening there um, you know, why is it, I guess, important in a different way from what uh, what Ukrainians themselves are are documenting or or other people who are there on the ground who aren't professional journalists uh, who are sharing what's happening through their social media? Yeah, I mean, I think the other key element that uh, photojournalists really bring to the table is uh, – being tied to news um, institutions, um, uh, media outlets, uh, where you can have more context to those images. Hmm. Um, I mean, I love TikTok. I love, you know, seeing how news um, is flowing through various uh, social media feeds and, you know, you know, the trite way of saying, you know, picture is worth a thousand words. Of course, that's true. Um, there's a lot of emotion um, that images can provide, but, um, you know, photojournalists really, again, in, in the way that they are tied to news institutions can provide a much deeper context um, that the written word or an on-air reporter um, can supplement with that. That's just really hard to get in a 280-character tweet or a three-minute uh, TikTok video. Um, and, you know, it, there was this fantasy, you know, 15 years ago or so when uh, people started using those terms, citizen journalists, that, you know, we no longer needed mainstream media and, you know, traditional journalists would just disappear. Um, but I think now more than ever, with all the conflicts that are happening, 
um, is that they're even more important um, when that uh, attention does start fading, um, that we have institutions um, that are tied to um, really presenting this information, because that's something that I've really found in my research, that digital activists in particular um, who you know, are really able to sustain um, high levels of digital engagement are part of movements that are organized, that are resourced, um, that have a division of labor, really, um, in uh, the digital element. And if we just rely on individuals, um, that's really not going to uh, happen, right? We're not really going to be able to uh, be able to sustain our ability to engage with social justice injustices around the world. Yeah, yeah. Okay, coming up, we're going to continue this conversation about images and social media and the influence they have over the way we think about things like the war in Ukraine. We'll come back to your calls and your social media comments. If you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019. Call and tell us what social media is telling you? What is it inspiring from you uh, with regard to events like the war in Ukraine? Uh, is it something that you're counting on at these days? Or uh, is it the kind of thing that you think floods the zone, so to speak, and makes you kind of inured to the idea that this is so horrible? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and put uh, comments there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We have been talking this hour about the power and influence of images, and in particular, images right now that we're talking about on social media, the influence they have over our thinking about events like the war in, uh, in the Ukraine. We also were talking about the power of the professional photography that we're seeing emerge uh, from journalists uh, in Ukraine who are documenting the war. Our guest right now is Jen Schrady, who's a professor and author of the book, The Revolution That Wasn't, How Digital Activism Favors Conservatives. She writes about how social media affects social movements. Uh, that's what we want to hear about from you as well. Uh, what role is social media playing in your understanding of what's happening in Ukraine? And what's the, I guess, emotional response you have to the constant uh, flow of images from uh, from the war there that we can see on Twitter or on Facebook or or on TikTok or Instagram? Um, does it inspire you to take action? Does it inspire you to, to feel like you are part of uh, a movement to, to stop the war in Ukraine? Or does it become uh, or does it have kind of a dulling effect, I guess, over time that uh, that you see so much of it that you don't uh, you don't react uh, as viscerally as you might. Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag us and we'll include you in the conversation that way. Let's start with Brad in Rochester Hills. Brad, what's hey, on your mind? Hey, Steve, it's great to hear from you. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't use any. I don't view any social media on the internet. I, I don't even have a TV, and uh, <laughs> I do listen to what's broadcast in, about the war in Ukraine by different radio newscasts, uh, where I get my uh, news from, and. Uh, it helps me to the best kind of action I take forward so I don't have to be dull too much is uh, pray on a daily basis for the Ukrainian people, especially for President Zelensky. So, Brad, I wonder if you can talk just a little bit more about your social media use and why you have chosen to opt out of it. I think that's a really interesting 
dynamic. Um, it's unusual, right, in 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 our modern culture. But but what is it about social media that is not attractive to you? And, and have access to it. And, and like some of my neighbors do. I'm an old school guy that gets uh, just information as I just mentioned off the radio, <laughs> where it's one of the newscasts like uh, Morning Edition or All Things Considered from NPR or off of uh, WWJ News Radio 950. Yeah. Brad, I'm glad you called and, and shared that. I mean, I think that's a really interesting way to to exist in the world right now um and it's a it's a pretty bold choice i think because of the just the kind of social pressure uh, that i think all of us feel um you know from social media the idea that well everybody's there i should be there too everyone's getting this information i want it too uh jen this idea of withdrawing from social media and getting information through other other sources is is quite interesting. It would give you a different view of the world, I would imagine, a very different view uh, than most people have. You know, Stephen, I think um, it's it's critical. Not only people who are choosing not to uh, engage with social media, but the digital divide um, is still very strong mm. uh, in the United States. Mm. Um, and we're not just talking about access, which is key and still very important, which the pandemic certainly um, showed very clearly, um, but it's regular consistent access. It's high speed internet. Um, it's having skills, understanding um, how to use a vast array of these tools, right? So I've been trying to figure out TikTok myself and uploading videos. I, before I went back to academia, I was a documentary filmmaker for years and I have some of these general skills, but it still takes time to understand all of the different nuances of this vast array of um, social media platforms. And the, these types of digital inequalities um, not only affect how people are consuming um, digital content, but also who the producers are, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the findings in my research is that not only is there a very clear social class divide, that people with more resources and power and more elites are the ones that tend to post more content, especially political content, but the other um, challenge is that um, over time, uh, far-right conservative groups um, also end up dominating online. So we have end up having an ideological gap as well. Yeah. Um, you know, there was this, you know, very utopian idea that the Internet would create this very egalitarian space where everyone could participate online. Um, but that's not the case at all. Um, and that's key to remember when we think about um, what's happening in Ukraine and the images that we're seeing, we're, we're certainly people on the ground facing what's what's happening with Russia's attack, but also the level of disinformation that's coming from Russia um, to the point where people, you know, are questioning what they are seeing and and fearing even sharing content, worried that it might be um, some type of of disinformation. Um, so that's the other real danger of imagining that we have this kind of utopian TikTok war right now. Yeah, yeah. Again, Brad, really appreciate uh, the call. And it's a really fascinating way to be navigating the world right now. Uh, let's go to Phyllis and Warren. Phyllis, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stephen. I, I, I'm in quite agreement with the uh, idea that too much is... A, uh, is more than enough. I do not have any social media contacts or any uh, programs that I'm involved in. I listen to the radio. Mm -hmm. I listen to NPR. I listen to uh, WDET or I listen to the University of Michigan or I might just pick up a station from someplace else. I think there is too much information out there. You get enough, it fills you up, and you're done. You're ready for tomorrow. That's not 
good enough. That isn't the way we get things done. Mm. I've been through the Second World War. I've been through the Korean War and all these other conflicts that we'd have up until now. That doesn't help us. We have to talk to each other. We have to live with each other. We have to respect each other. And that's the only way we get things done. We don't get it done through pictures on a little box that lights up. <laughs> Phyllis, I really appreciate that perspective. I'm glad you, really glad you called uh, Jen Trady. Uh, talk about, I, you know, I think what she's getting at there is the damage that social media does to interpersonal interaction, which I think uh, there's no question uh, that, that that's taking place. I've only got about a minute left, but I want to give you a chance to respond. Absolutely. I think Phyllis and Brad are both raising these uh, critical issues of how we, you know, those of us who are academics or journalists tend to rely way too much on what's happening on Twitter or hashtags, but so many people are getting their news from TV, from the radio, et cetera. And there's this really big uh, news and digital media ecosystem um, and it's really important to understand that that broad sensibility, not only in terms of whose voices are we hearing and who who are we reaching on social media and who are we not reaching, but also, as you mentioned, um, will we just be not only overwhelmed with these digital images, but to the point of, you know, it's simply a drug, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that we just want more and more of that adrenaline hit <laughs> um, and eventually... Um, it, it overwhelms us, or we move on to the next hit, right? The next uh, catastrophe. Um, and that really doesn't benefit anyone. Yeah. Jen Trady, it was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you. It's going to do it for us uh, today. Come back tomorrow when I'm going to talk with Natasha T. Miller about her book, Butcher. This is 1019 WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.